welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Buddy, how are you doing this Wednesday night? The One of the best hump days of the year, Brian. You know why? Tell me why, man. We worked one day so far this week. <laughs> there you go. There, there, there you are, go. There are two hump days that are great. Labor Day Memorial Day because you work one day and the next thing you know, you shut your computer for the day and, you know, the next day. You're halfway there. You're halfway there. It's like halfway less home. Snow. And after coming off the huge win last week, I mean, feels even better. Yep. Seeing the highlights, seeing Sandman played everywhere. Lots of national publicity after that one, uh, both for the quality of the win and the quality of the environment. And it was an environment. You know, we discussed it Friday, um, and it, it just continues to show the more videos that are coming out of folks in the stands. Um, you know, that's that's why that is Lane Stadium is one of the toughest places to play in the country is when that crowd is going. Um, someone tried to say, saw a Twitter poster, it's not really that loud. A, you've obviously never been there, um, and you've never taken people there who have been to other stadiums that are 20,000, 30,000, and they say, why is this louder? So, you know, yep. that's what it is. Uh, how, yeah, how I've, I've talked to people that have been to games at the Shoe, Big House, uh, Penn State. I've had a Penn State. State. Yeah, I mean, th- there's there's been people that I've talked to that have been all those places. They're like, yeah, I mean, there's something about Lane at night that just hits different. It's Lane at night. It's when it's packed. When the student section's popping, it's unbelievable. And um, as we get into it tonight, Brian. Um, Guy I read consistently on CBS Sports is uh, Tom Fornelli. He does a Cover 3 podcast. Um, he's up out of Chicago. And he, and he had a quote. And because he was talking about watching college football in week zero, and he said for the first time, you know, he cried. He says, as many hours as I'd spent watching college football up until that point, it was the first time I'd cried while doing so. And he said, this past weekend was the second. However, it was the first time I'd ever cried while listening to a Metallica song. <laughs> but when Inner Sandman kicked Friday night before the Virginia Tech upset 17 to 10 of number 10 North Carolina, I'll give Tom this. He did not pick us to win outright. He did go against the spread with us. So feel some harsh feelings there. But he said he felt the energy of the 65,000 people in Lane Stadium leave his television, enter his body. And probably much like me and you and probably most of the folks listening tonight, he said this. It was a feeling that continued throughout the weekend with the atmospheres across the country bringing joy back into my college football heart. I cannot agree with that more. It it was it just a different feeling this weekend than at any point last season. And mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, kind of starting the weekend off with a big hokey upset, yeah, um, real big game, or whether it was just having fans back in the stands. It was just so many different factors were playing a role uh, in that. But it definitely was one of my, in recent memory, the the best weekends of college football um, that I can recall. And it wasn't just the quality of the games; it was kind of everything. And just feeling like, hey, th- th- this is what we missed out on last year, and this is yeah. this is what college football is all about. 
college football is all about the crowds. And I'll tell you something I got. I mean, I watched the Wisconsin-Penn State game. Jump around was unbelievable. You felt it there. Um, But watching the two neutral site games, the Alabama game, and Alabama-Miami and Clemson-Georgia, usually in neutral site games, you don't hear the bases getting into it. Usually it's it's split 50-50. It's it, it. You get some buzz, but even those games, you can hear it on a key play, but it's not anything sustained. But in that case, in those two games, it was sustained, and you know Alabama smacking Miami and Clemson in an old school dog food dog fight with a loss to Georgia. But uh, we'll talk about some of the picks later. Um, your boy not doing too great here. But let's take, <laughs> well, let's start with this, Brian. It's something I didn't want to happen. I don't know how you felt about it, so I'm gonna ask you. I didn't want it to happen. We got ranked, unfortunately. Coaches put us at 21. The AP put us at 19. I hate it. I hate it. What about you? You know how I feel about rankings before mid-October. Uh, 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 um, you know what really Brian's Brian's gears? Go ahead, Brian. Get these rankings out of here until you've at least played five games. Um, but if we're going to be ranked, um, I'm glad that it was kind of in the lower end of the – of the poll there. Some people had us as high as like top 15. I'm like, no, too soon, too soon. Pump the damn brakes here. We don't have to overrank us just because we beat a probably overranked UNC team. Um, which I mean, we talked about it before the season started. We, we had them probably in the, the back half of the top 25, whereas most everyone else had them at least top, top 15, if not top 10. So uh, so I, the, the coaches poll at 21, I think, is a little bit more accurate than, than the 19. Uh, I'll take the ranking, but it's not something that I'm in favor of, and it's not something that I like after just you know such a small sample size as one victory against what we know now is probably a, a somewhat overranked UNC team, even if it's not greatly overranked. Exactly. Again, I don't want to be ranked at all. I didn't want to be ranked until after we beat West Virginia. It, that was my field, but I'm I'm with you on the whole week five thing. We got to see games. We got to see more games because you could have a team like Miami ranked what twelfth get smoked by Alabama. If they lose again to App State, the next thing you're looking at is like they weren't really that good. And at the end of the season, something you've always kind of alluded to with certain conferences, Brian. At the end of the season, well, they have five top twenty wins, and you look at the records like they were. Five at the time they were fifteen at the time of the game. They're now six and six. They're really not a top fifteen quality win. Yeah. So wait till the yeah, off- I mean, if, if you're going to start saying that it's a ranked game, I want at least five five contests under your belt, um, and you probably need to at least be four and one in those contests, and that one needs to be against another team that's probably in the top twenty five. Um. That's just that's just my feel on it. Um, I'm sure other people feel other ways. I know that there is the whole we've got to quantify it, so there's really no other way to quantify it. But at the same time, the problem with polls in general is that you know you still have a human element in the college football playoff selection committee, but their selections are informed by what we thought of teams both at the time the season started and as things went along. So. Uh, that shades how we rank and, and re-rank teams throughout the season. Absolutely. All right, let's get a couple shout-outs here, Brian. Um, let's do it. 
Jamari Connor, the ACC defensive back of the week. Well done. You could probably have picked uh, any four <laughs> uh, in our secondary. Uh, Multiple. Yeah. Armani with one catch, negative five yards. Strong with a good game. I mean. Waller just Waller. locking it up across the board. Exactly. Waller with the pick. Jamari with a pick. Kamari doing what he does with, I think, seven tackles, maybe eight. I don't have the stat sheet in front of me, but he had a very good tackling game as always. And the one thing that they talked about was he got really burned last year in the slot. Better this year, seven of 13. So definitely improving on that. And then his time at the linebacker position, obviously helping him get some extra tackles. All right. What about this one? You ready? What you got? Coach Fuente is the Dodd Coach of the Week. Obviously, the Dodd Coach of the Year is a pretty big trophy at the end of the year. So, uh... Awkward. (laughs) No, I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, I I feel like this was a combination of two things. So, it's a combination of the opponent that we played and how we went about it and how we prepared for it. And I think Coach Coach Fu did a good job of getting the everyone ready to play that game. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, if 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 you say who out coached who, Coach Fuente definitely out coached Mac Brown on that on that game. Big time. Uh, you know, wh- whether you got positive, negative, or any feelings about Coach Fuente, he was the better head coach on the field on Friday night. He he absolutely was, and I think maybe some of the stuff you saw from UNC about showing the fourth. Showing the the inner Sandman and they're up and around and dancing. Um, it's one of those things where it's like you. When we saw that, I think I felt okay. Y'all aren't taking it serious. It's going to be a full stadium that has not been there since Pitt, six hundred plus days. Yep, it is going to be loud. It's an after. It's an evening game, so the people that are coming are probably getting there morning. The kids are probably skipping classes. The afternoon classes are probably getting canceled. So you're going to have a bunch of riled up people. And I'm sure that floated around. And I'm sure that also floated around to the team. Well, I think one thing, you know, playing inner Sandman over loudspeakers and having 65,000 sustained uh, screaming noise for uh, four quarters, That's those are two different things. Um, you know, I, I know that there was a buzzy way of, okay, well, look, look what we're doing. Um, but at the end of the day, it probably didn't mean a damn thing. It probably didn't impact them positively or negatively for the game. Exactly. So, you know, good on him on that. All right, let's take a look at this, Brian. Just got dropped today. Shout out Will Stewart. He uh, posted the tweet. Um, the rating for the Friday night at 6 o'clock on a Labor Day weekend. That's that's a good number. It is a very good number. It was ESPN's fifth highest of the um, games that they had, kind of their big matchups. Three were in primetime, and then you had the Alabama game, which is at the the Miami game at 3.30. So, again, it's that positive. A lot of eyes were on the Hokies when they did really good things. And, again – for us in ESPN, really good number. So hopefully yep. we don't get many 12 o'clocks. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I like that we went out there and we won a game that we 
uh, needed to win in prime time, well, mostly prime time, um, evening game, and just took care of business with eyes on us because I feel like it's been a long time since we've had that national game mm-hmm. where we went out there and we had a spectacle, but then we also took care of business. Yeah, had the spectacle, took care of business, um, and and looked good in a in a in a facet of ways, both defensively, offensively, um, and something else we'll talk about a little bit later on special teams. All right, so let's go to some news and notes, Brian, um, for this week. Um, let's talk about this. I, early in the camp, the transfer McCray out of Marshall was playing backer. Yep, and lo and behold. Presser on Monday. He has moved to defensive end. Um, I mean, is it Amari 2.0? I know. I think it says. I, I think it says two things. So it's two things. Number one, it says that we're more or less uh, confident with Artis as backup, especially since we are uh, moving Chamari uh, into linebacker when we go true nickel. So it says that number two. It says that we need some help at defensive end depth-wise um, because I don't think this move is made unless we were a little bit light at that position. And we're definitely um, and I And I'm not saying it wouldn't be made eventually. I don't think it's made at the time we're making it if it wasn't yeah. for that. Um, and number three, I mean, he's got athletic tools and he's got a, a similar build to where – uh, Barno was a couple years ago. Yep. Let's let's see what what we can do here. So uh, I don't think it's a bad move for us. Um, we'll see if that's going to have any trickle down long term at the linebacker position. But you know, it's definitely going to help us shore up the the defensive line a little bit this this year. Yeah. Also says to me might mean there's a couple guys not ready to play yet. Where CJ has been in a college program for multiple years even if he is undersized at 215 220 he's seen some field action he's been in a program not getting there for the first time so you know i don't think that's shocking um again he's got the body he's got the body type for it so we shall yeah i mean i think if you want him to be like a significant rotational player he's probably going to need another 15 or 20 pounds but in terms of just being able to do something um, kind of like Barno was able to do at the beginning of last year. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily expecting kind of the, the, the big, you know, light switch to go on like it did for Barno. But if he can just give us some meaningful snaps, especially in situational, um, you know, third and long and things like that, I think that'll be good for us. Absolutely. All right, Brian, Friday night, we did see Devin Hunter on the field for a couple plays, but the majority we saw in the Sear Peoples this week, it is now essentially or position um, boundary safety is now hunter or yep. peoples. Any shot or just were they waiting for it to happen with the with the action Friday night? I think they wanted to kind of see what they had, but it seemed like peoples um, was kind of trending that way um, just before you know as as fall camp wrapped and we got into practice. Um, I think Hunter's going to be an asset for us, but. If Peoples is playing the way he played against UNC, I mean that's it's hard to go away from him um, for for a significant amount of snaps. Yeah, it absolutely is. And you know, Peoples was a pretty big projected guy out of high school. Had like 
it came down to you know us and Notre Dame. I think Michigan and a few the two four a couple of people on two four seven you know put him to Michigan, um, which wasn't a shot. By the way, shout out John. How are you tonight? The boys are on the air. You are correct, sir. All right, Brian. Let's get into this. Just a little more notes. Um, so we got some snaps counts. Shout out two four seven for putting them out there and. We noticed some of the stuff on Friday, especially on the offensive side. Defensive side, because of the camera shots usually focused on the offense, you don't know who's in there and occasionally. I did see Eli Adams' number a couple times Friday night. I did see Jalen Griffin. And let's actually start with, though, the offensive line, because I think this paints a picture for me and you where some of our worries may have maybe getting a little bit relieved. And, you know, Left tackle, left guard, center. Those guys played every snap. Locked up. Locked it up. Um, Tenuta did good job. Leticus, good job. Brock, good job. Right side. All right, ready for it, Brian? Here are the numbers. Yep. Caden Moore played 42 snaps. Silas Danzi played 46. Now, Johnny Jordan came in at right guard, played 21, and Tyrell Smith played 17. No, no, no side of Parker Clements, but how does that now make you feel to see they not only got snaps, you know, Johnny got a third of the snaps at guard and, and Tyrell essentially got about a quarter of the snaps at right tackle. Yeah, I mean, I feel pretty good about that. That tells me that we're at least going to have that. That's going to be the, the settled on seven man rotation. Um, the the question is going to be is that, Who's is there going to be an extra interior guy that works in there at some point? Um, and is that person Jesse Hansen? Um, time will tell. Um, but I think if you're looking at the solid man rotation, seven man rotation, I mean, that, that's going to be the, the, the guys there with Ty Smith really working in at either tackle, depending on um, who goes down. And you got Johnny Jordan as kind of the, the full-on swing interior lineman there because he could really play all three positions if he needed to. Absolutely. Um, I was just again, I was just glad they got them out there. Yeah. If, if if nothing else, because again, it makes you think. Okay, because of how that game was going to, there you could not make mistakes. You couldn't because it yeah. was a tight game. And by putting him out there where it was heated, I know Johnny got out there early. Um, I feel like Tyrell came in late seconds the first time I saw him. But knowing they were in the situation where it's like, hey, we have to protect the quarterback. We need to get our run lanes open because this is a tight game. And it's on you guys to come out here and do the job. And essentially overall, sounds like they did the job. And going forward, we're at a seven-man rotation. Yep. I'd love to see Jesse Hansen on his fixing expedition with um his fishing expedition with Sergio Render get some <laughs> and techniques. He's getting techniques on both ends there. Let's hope it's both ends, fishing and offensive line. Yes, sir. All right, Brian. Let's next jump to the defensive line. Because I think these were the stats when we talked about them after um, you know, two four seven. And uh, Matej put them out there that we were like, okay, let's start with the defensive tackles. You want to talk about a balanced rotation? 
Pollard 36, Kendricks 34, Fuga 30, Jordan Williams 29. What does this say to you? Does it say anything since you know the guy who's coaching the defensive line? That tells me he's doing exactly what he wants to do with his four best defensive linemen, and that's rotate them significantly throughout the game. Keeping guys fresh, making sure that um, guys aren't winded uh, for long periods of time. And that's especially key in game one. Um, we saw Fuga, I think, uh, go down with what looked like maybe a cramp there at one point. And just trying to game one, still warmer uh, September evening. Yep. Um, you want you want to keep guys fresh um, to, to avoid the cramping. And as, as they're kind of getting used to that full game, that first full game, because it does hit different um, than, than any sort of practice element that you can have. Absolutely. Again, seeing the rotation and, you know, something maybe next couple of days being you go back and look at is seeing who was paired with who. Because that would be interesting. Is it is it something like we talked about in the preseason where, like, you feel like it's going to be these two guys and then these two guys, or is it, no, he's mixing and matching. He feels comfortable with all four. Well, let, let's talk about that a little bit because what we saw is a lot of three-man line with Barno really kind of playing a joker and and kind of lining up all throughout the uh, the defense. He was still on the line of scrimmage, but he was kind of picking gaps um, based on where where the uh, where the defensive call was for the line, and that really confused that North Carolina front. They didn't know what to do. He played fifty-three snaps, and he was. Left side, right side, he stood up, he spied, he played some drop zone. I mean, it, it, you know, we always talk about all OWs, right, offensive weapons. You yep. got a defensive weapon because the guy can come off the edge. The guy does have a good pass rush. But the guy up until the summer of last year had been a linebacker literally his whole life. So it seems like the defensive line and maybe Jack Tyler is saying, listen, we can do some special things. We can go, we can go with a 30 front and we can put Barno in the gaps or we can put him on the edge. We essentially can make that quarterback have to think 10 times more when he's at the line and where's, wait a second, where's 11? Wait a second. He's over here. Why did he just move over here? Yep. You need to snap the ball. And we got a sack, we got a sack on one play where he dropped into coverage. It was it became a three man rush, but they had shifted protection to Barno, and then he dropped. <laughs> and next thing you know, you got other guys with one on ones. And I think that I, if I recall, I think that was one of Garbett's sacks. I might be wrong. Might have been. I I'd have to go back and look and recall because the old ticker sometimes, uh, or the old brain just sometimes forget things, but. He led with 53. And I think the next three numbers really shocked me. Talon Garber, who had a hell of a game, 38 snaps. Yep. That, I expected that. The next two, well, the next one really popped out. Jalen Griffin had 27 snaps. Which is, That doesn't shock. I figured that the, the, the that first doesn't... three were going to be r- okay. roughly 50%, give or take, um, of, of the snap count. So the fact that he was up there right at, right just below 50%, that doesn't shock me. Did it shock you that Eli Adams got about a 20% play in getting 12 snaps? It it did, especially since I saw how creative we were getting with our alignments. 
Um, but I think the fact that Barno was able to play the snaps that he was meant that we also got to limit how much we put Eli on the field. And so that's probably a positive because I think Eli in short spurts is fine. Eli for multiple drives, you know, in a, in a half probably isn't going to be, be able to hold up for, for that long. Absolutely. Um, and again, will be interesting this week if we see McCray, Nelson, Carroll. I think that should be a goal this week for us. Those Definitely guys. a goal. That yeah, try to goal. try to get as many guys in as you can this week, um, especially against. Um, we're going to talk about it here. What what looks to be a smaller uh, offensive line unit. Um, get some of those younger guys in that can, that because you know they can match up physically against uh, this offensive line and see what they can do. Absolutely. Um, we got some breaking news, probably about 30 minutes. I, I think about the time me and Brian got on, we're getting ready, guys. Yep. The Big 12 per Pete Thamel is expected to add UCF, Cincy, Houston, and BYU in 2023. So That's three years quick. prior to the Texas-Oklahoma expected exit. Um, let me phrase it to you this way, Brian. Will the Big 12 with these additions – still be part of the power five. I think so. I think so. And I think that they've done a good job of highlighting um, some growth potential um, that's still more or less within their geographic footprint. Um, UCF and Cincy notwithstanding. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, uh, pluses for them, it gets them in a relatively large Ohio market and it gets them in a really big central Florida market. Yes. So kudos to them in terms of the financial side, getting into those markets, um, you know, snagging uh, the, the Houston market. Uh, you know, you're already in Texas, but you're losing um, that kind of southeastern market in in austin you're gaining one right back with houston true but texas is more of the whole state brand so i think they're they're losing a big piece but they're gaining at least some sort of you're keeping four teams in texas still yeah so you have the you have the cross rivalries and stuff i think what it i'm going to be interested to see because if a if texas and oklahoma stay they're probably going to go to fourteen team or two seven. A fourteen team league is going to go to two seven conferences. I want to see how they do that. More so of where they put Texas, where they put Oklahoma, and because I think what you're going to see is the way it probably should look. It should be Cincy, West Virginia, UCF, and then we kind of come back this way. Who is the other three teams in the Eastern? Is it the Kansas schools? Do you put Oklahoma State and Houston on that side? And is the other side more Texas? Or is it north-south? I mean, Yeah, and I think another thing to look at is that does this mean that there's going to be some negotiations that the SEC and the Big 12 are going to have some sort of agreement where that buyout – goes down a little bit and SEC covers it so Texas and Oklahoma can go ahead and dip when the others join. Maybe, maybe not. Um because I think if you're if you're the Big Twelve, you just stand pat and say, 
you need to pay us $160 million if you want to get out. Well, the SEC like might pay that for them anyway. Now, but well, that's both, fine. The, both the schools have have the financials to recoup that money. I mean, over the long haul, anyway. True, true. But either way, 160 million out of anybody's budget is still significant. Sure. Even in and, and coming on the heels of, of COVID, that's definitely a, a bigger factor to, yep. to take into account, no doubt. My other point is my other thing about what the Big 12 did is the credit of getting Cincy up. Really, since the last 15 years has been a very good group of five schools. Yeah. Multiple New Year's Six Bowls. We played them back in 07. UCF is about the same way. They were good in the early 2000s, had some rough patches, started building up again in the mid-2000s. Um, Houston's kind of always been like that. They were in the old SWAC. They have a yeah. Heisman winner and Andre Ware. And then BYU, I mean – it's a good base. I mean, now as far as logistics, I feel for fan bases traveling because the year BYU plays UCF for Cincinnati, that is going to be some interesting games, but some very long hauls for teams, players, coaches, and fans. All right, big guy. NFL starts tomorrow. NFL kicks off tomorrow night with the boys and the Bucks, which I'll probably be partaking a little bit in. I have some, uh, I have some interest in both of those teams, fantasy football. I, I've got some fantasy interest in those games. Uh, Amari Cooper, uh, in particular, uh, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Um, and you got, got both of them, the huh? <laughs> you got both of them. Yeah, I got both different leagues. Wow. Different uh, leagues, different uh, leagues. Uh, gotcha. Yeah. Evans in the league we're in. Okay. Got one of other leagues. But let's go. let's talk this, man. Let's talk your Colts. How are you feeling leading into the game versus uh Seattle? I'm feeling better than I felt last week when I when we had kind of three of our linchpin players on the COVID list and <laughs> you know Still some question marks whether Wentz was going to be ready to go. Still some question marks whether Quentin Nelson was going to be ready to go. Um, but both of them look to be full speed ahead. So we'll see how game one goes, especially against the uh, the Seahawks. Um, you know, T.Y. is on the short-term IR, so we're going to be leaning on uh, Michael Pittman. Um, we're going to be leaning on Paris Campbell. Um so it should be interesting. Uh, probably going to get all of our tight ends involved. So uh, looking forward to what we can do against the Hawks. Hopefully our defense can keep Russell Wilson in check and we can make some plays on offense and come out with the W. Nice. What about you, man? How's the uh, – what's what's the Niners talk looking like? Well, probably the best thing I feel about is we're playing the Lions. That's a good start. <laughs> That's a great start as we're playing probably the worst team in the league. Um, you know, Lance hurt his finger the other day, uh, like chipped a bone in it, but he was back throwing today. Um, Jimmy's the official starter because he took the interviews Monday and today, which is essentially whoever your starting quarterback is has to be available to the press those yep. two days. Um, just like during a during the normal week, they have to talk after the game and during the week um we're, we're coming in pretty healthy um 
the defensive line is just it's just nasty. I mean, yeah, you know, def- <laughs> I mean, I mean, between Ford, Armstead, Kenlaw, um, Samson Ekaban, and then Bosa coming back, along with all pro linebackers, really good safeties. Corners are a little shaky. Um, so that'll be interesting. But if you're having a pass rush like we had two years ago, you don't need two Jalen Ramseys in the back. You just need good, solid coverage because they're going to get home more than not. Um, yeah. And, so, and you just need you need to be solid initially because um, yeah. there's not going to be a whole lot of time for quarterbacks. So as long as you're not getting beat those first you know, two to four seconds. Exactly. Exactly. So we're feeling pretty good about it. And then obviously one guy, Kentavia Street, Robbie's boy, still making the team. Um, and then big shout out, Coach Tap, um, out there cutting his teeth in the NFL with Chris Kasurik, man. So, um, you know, it, unfortunately we're a one o'clock, so I have no chance of seeing it. <laughs> no chance of seeing the game. Um, but it is what it is. It's glad to have it back. You know, got a couple Niners on my fantasy teams too. Uh, so feeling good. Just just kind of ready for a full football weekend yeah, from Thursday. Nice having, having some NFL, having some uh, some college games, and then having some more NFL, and some more NFL, and some more NFL. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. So before we get to our main topic tonight of knowing the enemy, Middle Tennessee State, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part. All right, Brian. So let's know the enemy. Let's start. It's Middle Tennessee State. The Blue Raiders just outside Nashville. The Blue Raiders. I've heard and see what the heck Blue Raiders are. Is it something to do with Tennessee during some historical period? Perhaps. I don't know. But Middle Tennessee State from Conference USA coming off a pretty bad three and six season. It's kind of funny. The first recollection and first game I watched last year during the COVID was them just getting absolutely shelled by army like 40 to nothing and it's just like we were supposed to play them last year it's like crap what man we don't get to play this terrible team <laughs> so you know of course they they make some changes go get some players in the portal this year and um let's start with this guy somebody we know about we bailey, know him very well from our first game last year yes we do bailey hockman the nc state transfer very familiar with him. Played that first game with us last year. Um, did not have a good game at Lane Stadium. Empty. Seven for 16, 82 yards with two interceptions. Overall, the numbers last year with NC State weren't terrible, but they weren't world-beating. Clearly, 
you know, after seeing NC State last week, why he kind of moved to Middle Tennessee State. 2,088 yards, 64% completion percentage with 13 touchdowns and um, 11 interceptions. Had a somewhat solid, you know, game against Monmouth. 17 for 22, 215, 77 completion percentage with three touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, I know you looked at some of the highlights and a little bit of the game. I mean, has much changed in his game from last year when we saw him? Uh, not much. He still likes to challenge and throw that uh, that outside fade. Um, likes to target receivers outside in particular. Doesn't go over the middle very much. Um when he did, you know, we made him pay last year, so hopefully we can do that again um, for a different team. But he throws a pretty good deep ball. Uh, you know, the, the key is going to be getting pressure on him, making him uncomfortable, making him throw before he's ready, and and hopefully making him have to have to look to the middle of the field where he sometimes takes too many risks. So what you're saying is sidelines are his friends in the middle of the field, probably like what happened last year. He doesn't see it. He doesn't. He doesn't come through those reads and see where the coverages are. It's more of, I can push it, but if I go here, I'm probably going to miss something. Yeah, I mean, he, it looks like he likes to know where to where to leverage the football. So if he's you know able to essentially leverage it one direction, knowing the defenders on the other, that that helps him in terms of his reads. He's got enough of an arm where he can kind of throw that that ten or twelve yard out and still get it out there. Um, he can throw that deep fade and still get the ball out there towards the sideline. So he's got enough arm to make those throws, and he's right. more comfortable when it's kind of that 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 one side leverage leverage throw where he's not worried about defenders that are moving laterally in both directions. Got it. So one of those things where if he's having to think or you're bearing down on him, the more we do that, probably the more bad things will happen like last year. Yeah, and, and that's going to be the thing for them is that they, they played a pretty clean game against Monmouth. And, and and really, the Monmouth had exactly the opposite. So, uh, <laughs> we'll get into that. We'll, we will get into that. We'll get so, into that. Uh, I, I, I'm, I really want to see what, what Hockman ends up doing when we can get pressure on him, uh, unlike Monmouth was able to do. Absolutely, because he does have some weapons. Um, and, you know, I want to talk about Jalen Lane first because yep. you know five foot eight, hundred seventy four pound wide receiver slash he is also their punt returner. One hundred sixty one all purpose yards last week. Scored two touchdowns, one reception, which was thirty plus yards. Alluding back to your point of how Hawkman likes to push the ball down the field, and then the punt return of seventy plus yards was, which was their first score in the second quarter. Um, yep. So he definitely looks like a. Um, Kind of a home run hitter there for him. Yeah. He's a freshman, sophomore, not a lot of production last year. So that first game was obviously his biggest game thus far in his collegiate career. And it seems like Hockman was able to get the most out of him combined with you know, the, the big punt return, obviously, um, increased that uh, all-purpose yardage there. Um, he had really three big plays that constituted most of his yards. He had the long punt return. He had a 35-yard game that set up their first touchdown and then he had the 32 yard touchdown uh, yeah. I believe in the second quarter mm -hmm. so again you're not seeing those you're not seeing many uh 
easy, easy throws, you know, hooks coming over the middles and stuff like that with them. Um, Because if you take 32 to 35 and then the 70, he only had two more receptions. And so they were about for about 15 to hit that 161. But they do have someone who is maybe a little more of a stick mover in the 6'2", 210, C.J. Wyndham. Yep. Somebody challenging Tyrell Smith for eligibility. He is on year six. <laughs> and if everything plays right, I think he might have eligibility next year. Um, he was five for 46. His longest was 18 yards. So obviously probably that back shoulder fade type guy. He did score a touchdown. Um, but through his first five years, Brian, again, minimal production. Five years. He was only at 80 receptions, 1,097 yards, and 11 touchdowns. Yeah. Not exactly, uh, you know, killing the world. Yeah, he's definitely your possession wide receiver. He's he's the stick mover. Um, he's the guy that you're going to look for for kind of a, a tough a tough third down, like a short, a short third down where you just need to get, get the first down and keep it moving. Um, big body, he's also going to be using the red zone. Uh, but that that's not – where Hockman is going to try to to strike most often, um, he's going to be used in a very situational fashion. And that's you know, again, he only had he had five receptions, you know, averaging right at nine a reception. So again, if anything, that's probably his outlet guy on the outside. Yep. Now I want to look smallest guy on the field for them who made a big play. He plays primarily in the slot, five seven one fifty. I did not stutter. Five foot seven, one hundred and fifty pound. Yep. DJ England Chisholm. Um, forty-eight total scrimmage yards last week with a touchdown. Um, he's played for two years, just under four hundred scrimmage yards each year. So a little bit of production, but again, the way we're seeing slots used nowadays, you'd almost kind of say that's disappointing, but that little inside wheel he ran for that touchdown, man, that was nasty. Yeah, and and he's got the wheels um, and, and the shiftiness at that position. Um, I think it's it's been more of a consistency thing uh, with him, and I think size kind of limits what they can do with him from the slot because if they if they run him over the middle all game, they're going to get the kid killed, especially against uh, <laughs> even yeah. Conference USA talent, let alone yeah. you know, going up against a, a Virginia tech or other power five programs. So, but he, he, that, that wheel was nasty 29 yard touchdown. Yeah. Um, so definitely going to have to keep an eye on him. Probably he's going to be matched up with either Chamari Connor uh, or if we go true nickel, you know, we'll see probably either Waller or uh, Chapman on him. Yep. I'm going to ask this just from you kind of looking at the tape a little more, looking at the highlights, looking at a few extra plays. Does any of them, like, absolutely, you sit there and say he could have a really, really good game, regardless how we play him? I think if we kind of play in the secondary, similar to what we did against UNC, the only one that really scares me is Lane, okay. um, just because that, that ability to take the top off, um, and that's where Hockman likes to go with the football, so you know the shots are going to be taken. Um, whereas... um Sam Howell like to kind of work the ball to a bunch of different guys. I feel like Lane's going to be the primary target because um, he's going to be the one that is probably going to be matched up 
either one-on-one or in a um, you know single coverage situation there. And we, we're just going to have to make sure that he doesn't beat us deep, keep keep everything in front of us, make the plays like uh, Dorian Strong did in the end zone where, you know, those 50-50 balls, he doesn't come down with them. Absolutely. All right, Brian, let's move over to the rushing attack. You made a few notes here. You've updated this, and I've laughed as we were looking at it. So 94 yards on 32 carries. Yep. They had 11 players with at least one rush attempt. Yep. They used five different running backs. Five different running backs. Three different quarterbacks. Three different quarterbacks. They had a rush, yeah. receivers got involved with rush. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, because uh, England Chisholm had a rush. I don't yep. – I, I, I have to see what that play was on. The most rushing yards for any one person was Frank Peasant with 27 yards on five carries. And – he had an 18-yard carry of those 27. So he had one at 18, four at nine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're playing Monmouth. I mean, and Monmouth is a solid FCS program. They've made the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, they're a top 10 FCS program, so they're no slouch in that level. But, but they're still but FCS. Three, three yards a carry? Less than three yeah. yards a carry? I'll tell you. So I'll, I'll say this. I will say. I will say what I'm saying here, and you tell me what you think. Their running attack reminds me of like a shittier version of what Pitt tries to do with their running attack. Imagine Pitt with really, really small offensive linemen. <laughs> okay. Um. Well, obviously, for us in the past, it's either been feast or famine with Pitt, where they can't get anything going or they burn us alive. So. Um, they usually burn us alive in the past game. They they true. rarely get big big rushing games against us. So well, I just think 2018 though they did rush. Yeah, they, they yeah gutted we're us. gonna forget that game. I know it's still, but you say Pitt, <laughs> I think. But they also always have very big offensive linemen. They're not yeah. they're not sitting here because I think you told me or we read somewhere they have a freshman that's 270 pounds. Yeah, he, he's his playing weight is what my playing weight was when I was at Hamden Sydney playing D three. So, uh, you know, he's got he's got about two or three inches on me height wise, but yeah, um, and I and I was relatively undersized. <laughs> so what else did Clay, you think? I mean, I mean, is, is is the whole line that way primarily? They're all smaller. They're not small like that, but they they are right. smaller compared to your average. Uh, even G5 offensive line. Um, and they they had trouble moving. A lot of what they did in the running game, misdirection helped them kind of get some leverage where they were able to get a couple plays. Uh, one was a particular, I think it was like a wildcat type formation. Uh, I forget number number 44. I can't remember the name of that player, but he, uh, he scooted in for a touchdown. Uh, I think it was about eight or nine yards out. Well-designed play. But a lot of how they generated offense in the running game was through misdirection and guys just being out of place to make the play. They were not booping the line of scrimmage. All right, so you know they gave up two sacks, and this was two sacks is good. For, you know, yeah, not, not bad, not bad. Eleven tackles for loss. Yeah, I mean that, I that's that's the troublesome number. <laughs> is Amari Barno like going to get twelve tackles for loss? I mean, I mean, we we should so we should dominate them 
inside with our tackles. Our tackles are are big and strong enough to push them back, uh, collapse the pocket, make the running backs have to run the hump, and then our, I think our defensive ends are going to have a field day. Um, so let's hope that we All can right. uh, bring that same intensity that we had on the defensive line against UNC into the game this week. Yeah, absolutely. And the 44 you're talking about was Chatton Morley, um, one of their running backs there. So, yeah, the way I see our defensive line playing, I mean, again, Monmouth is a top 10 FCS, good school, but I don't think they're bringing the sort of seven-man rotation we have on the defensive line along with some of our linebackers. Um, The other thing that kind of caught my eye, when I see a team, and I'm going to mention a couple other things later, but when I see a team win 50 to 14, yep. I expect almost domination in every category. Yeah. The one category I did not see true domination in, and they had a lot of them, is third and fourth down conversions. They had 12. And for when you win 50 to 14, and you're three of twelve on converting those. In the back of my mind, and I'm gonna get into the stuff later as I make my prediction. In the back of my mind, that says, "So, how did you score all those points? Because you weren't consistently driving the ball on, you know, six to eight plays and punching it in the end zone against an FCS team. You were doing something different." And I will mention that when I get to my prediction teaser, everybody. That's a teaser. That is a teaser because I think it's going to – I think people that haven't really looked into it are going to be probably a little bit shocked to know how. But let's turn to their defense, Brian. Last year their defense was bad. Yep. Real bad. They gave up over 446 yards a game. They were like one position ahead of Virginia Tech, and we know how bad we were last year on defense. 35 points a game. Um now, they did get about one and a half takeaways per game, um, which is not a terrible number. I think if you no. told me at the end of our season, if we play 12 full games, we were closing in on 20 turnovers, I think I'd be fine with that. But overall, really not a good defensive performance um, from them. And I'm going to start with uh, you know, one of their defensive backs, Teldrick Ross, who had been a corner, like they've converted him over to safety, 5'10", 193. Um, not a lot of games played his first three years. Um, did have a big pick six against Monmouth. So what are you seeing from Ross in their back end? He's definitely a ball hawk. Um, and I think that's the thing we're going to have to watch out for is not to make any – any of those dangerous throws across the across the middle um, because right. he will go after the ball. We saw it against Mom, but took took a pick six back. Um, but not not as sound in coverage, but he makes up for it with uh, with his play on the football and being aggressive. All right, so it's essentially one of those guys. If you what you just said is if he's not really sound in coverage, he's probably freelancing a lot. And a little bit of free, yeah, a little bit of freelance. He's kind of kind of out there, not necessarily doing his own thing, but he is willing to give up a big play in order to make a big play. Okay, okay, okay. I, I start hearing that, and that that immediately makes me think, um, especially in the middle of the field, 
if he's willing to try to make a big play, let, let's let's make him think about going one side of the field and then hitting him on the other if he's trying to freelance. So some of those throwbacks, something to Mitchell. Um, how would you attack him? I think that's a good way to do it. Uh, take advantage of his aggressiveness. Uh, maybe work in a double move. Let him try to bite on the first the first move and then beat him over the top. Um, you you want to try to still attack him, but you also don't want to run a vanilla route and have BB throw off his back foot in his direction. Because we know that's something that he needs to clean up. Yep. All right. Next, I want to move down to the defensive line. Um, guy with a really good game. Um, last week, 6'2", 260 defensive end, Jordan Ferguson. Um, you know, solid 2020 season, 42 tackles, four and a half tackles for loss, a sack and a half. Um, really good game against Monmouth. Three tackles, one sack, two tackles for loss, a forced fumble, and a quarterback hit. Um, and, you know, overall, they had, you know, multiple forced fumbles. They had a couple. They had three sacks. They had ten tackles for loss. Was he leading the way? Because, or was he more of one of just? Is it more of a committee with their line? He's kind of the fire guy. He's the guy that gets them going, and we okay. saw it with the um, the forced fumble that that kind of got kind of woke them up, got them going. Um, I think that was what actually led to their first touchdown early in the second quarter, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, their first um, offensive touchdown. Yes. Their first first offensive they touchdown. had the punt return. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, so that kind of got them going. Uh, and I feel like that that's the type of role he has. He's a good player, um, but he's kind of the uh the juice for that defensive line. All right. Does anything else on their defensive line when you were looking at it present what you think might be problems? Or is it more of they're okay. We should be able to handle them, but they have pretty good speed off the edge. We need to make sure that we're getting good sets and not letting them get to, to Braxton quick. Um, but if, if we set well, um, there's nothing spectacular about any of those players, um, but they are solid and they are pretty quick that, uh, that you don't want to just let them run around the edge on you. All right. For you, because of how good we run the ball, are you and, – and going back to your heyday, are you just wanting – punished them early running the ball. And essentially yeah, there, there's, there's no reason we shouldn't take the fight to them right out okay. the gate and make them start thinking up front. And then once they're thinking up front, we can start peppering them in with some other things we like to do in the pass game or some other things we like to do uh, in the screen game. So kind of make them, I know you talked about Ross, like to hawk, but making the defensive back and the defensive coordinator say, listen, you've got to go support up front. Because if not, by the time they get to you, you're they're going to have 15 yards because they're going to blow through our, you know, our two fronts. Um, yeah, I mean, based on what I saw against UNC and based on the tape that I've seen, there's no reason that we shouldn't dominate them in the running game up front with our offensive line. Um, okay. you know, we probably yardage wise left a bunch of rushing yards on the field against UNC um, that weren't necessarily blocking problems. So. Uh, if we can take more advantage of that in this game consistently, it should be a, a pretty good game for our running backs. Hopefully we can get Blackshear over 100 all-purpose, mm-hmm. maybe get Holston close to 100 total. Essentially, let's make them pay. 
And by making that front line pay, a guy who really impressive stats, DQ Thomas, the 6'2", 216-pound linebacker. I mean, last season, 67 tackles, seven tackles for loss, three sacks, two forced fumbles. And a couple years ago, um, back in 18, 70-plus tackles, 10 tackles for loss, eight sacks. So he's contributed every year, and this year is no different. Already starting off with nine tackles and two tackles for loss. If you could bet on DQ Thomas for Saturday and the line was ten and a half over under tackles, are you taking the over or the under? I'm going to take the over just because I think we're going to be running the ball a lot. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think we want to really kind of get comfortable with our offensive line and running. I feel like this is a good kind of tune-up for what we're going to potentially see at West Virginia the following week. Okay. Um, don't want to look past Middle Tennessee, mm-hmm. but you also want to make sure that you are working the areas that you need to work ahead of a, a, a bigger opponent. I feel like this is a good opportunity to do that. All right. You got to make and that part of your game plan. We really do. And we already mentioned it, and I'm going to mention it again. The forcing of turnovers. They forced four turnovers on Saturday. Yep. And and that was – that's really – you've already mentioned it, Brian. If if we play clean um, – you know, there should be no reason why this shouldn't be an absolute blowout. And as I give my prediction in a little while, and yours, Brian, I think I think we, we're, we're kind of seeing it that way. Now, last week, folks, we saw the alpha version of the Hokies 2021. Me and Brian got together. We need to write it a beta version. Things we like, things we need to uh, improve upon. So let's start with the uh, start with the offense, Brian. The beta version versus Middle Tennessee State. What is the first thing that you want us to see or want us to do differently? Uh, take more shots downfield to kind of stretch that offense and give the running game a little bit more room to work. I mentioned earlier maybe some double moves that take advantage mm-hmm. um, of the safety aggressiveness. I think we can match up well outside against their corners. I think we should be able to take a couple shots against them, get Braxton more comfortable throwing the deep ball. Um, he had a couple good ones in in that game, probably a couple we'd like to have back. I want to see yeah. him get get pretty consistent with that, and this is a good opponent to really kind of kind of work himself in in that uh, that groove. Absolutely. The the shot to Trey Turner down that sideline, you couldn't have placed it any better. You, yeah, that was a great awesome. throw. You, you could not have placed it any better. I think we talk about more downfield shots. Obviously, there was one drawn up middle third, uh, third, fourth quarter, late second half of that game where essentially Trey Turner's free. It is a 40-yard pass. It is a touchdown. He missed the read. So we saw that. We saw him a couple of other times. We were going to push the ball downfield. So I think it's there. I just think if we get to a place of, well, especially if we're running the ball, and Brian, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna roll into the next one here. If we're doing what you say has to be done, which is consistently running the ball better, especially against a smaller defensive line, I think those shots are gonna be there potentially all day. If they come up early, and I mean they're loading nine in the box early. We have to take them. Yep. They'll beat them over the top one time. I guarantee you they'll go back. 
But even in that case, Brian, I feel like their size, I still think we should run the ball consistently, even if they're putting eight and nine in the box. Do, do you think we still should be getting, with a loaded box, four to five yards every touch? Eight maybe, uh, not nine. They're, sure? they're, they're not going to commit nine. Um, <laughs> I mean, th- th- I mean, it's a four-two-five. They're they're, they're going to okay. consistently have six to seven in the box. Um, if they end up having to bring eight in, then we'll we'll we'll, we'll be able to feast outside pretty pretty significantly. So, um, but I mean, point number two, we got to get consistent with that run, though, right? We, yeah. we saw. We saw a couple areas where we hit some good runs, especially on some key downs. And then we saw some areas where, you know, there was a little bit of a mistake, a little bit of a, you know, handoff conundrum, a little bit of, little, little bit of just not quite finely tuned in some areas. Um, and I'd like to see that get more consistent. I'd like to see us not have those negative plays, especially those self-inflicted negative plays. Oh, yeah. So if we can do that, I think we're going to have a, have a pretty big night. Absolutely. Third point here. There were numerous times, and you pointed this out to me in Friday's game, that if Braxton Burmeister had just pulled, we might have had a lot more rushing yards. We could have had a lot more points. Yep. Um, do you think that was just – now? do you think that was just the game plan is – this isn't a read option. This is strictly a you're going to show it after the fact, or do you think it was him just not reading it? So m- most of the calls on the night were designed for the running back. They were not read option yeah. plays. Um, and then there was one I think on the uh, the first it was the first or second first down where uh, on the first drive where Braxton um, it was a design quarterback run and he got the first down, but. There was a, only a, probably about a handful of actual read options in the game plan, and I think all but one or, or, or all of them he uh, he gave every time. So uh, I'd like to see him keep a little bit more. I know I, I harped in the offseason about not running Braxton Burmeister a lot, but what I was primarily talking about is limit those design quarterback runs where he is definitely keeping the ball, meaning he is definitely going to take a hit. Um, I want to see him scramble and use his athleticism, and I want to see him keep it when the play in the defense dictates it so he can get some of those big runs uh, really out on the edge with, with, with nobody out there to really cover it. So Absolutely. you got to take advantage of that. And it's really funny, because how we put the beta version together of the offense, Brian, that we can almost go back up and see how everything can lead from the bottom. If yep. Braxton starts keeping it more on those read options, the defense is going to have to commit more guys to, you know, making sure you're not crashing. Don't crash, stay upside. So if even if you've got eight in the box, if two of the guys are protecting the edges because of potential run from BB, you're playing with you're playing with numbers down in the box. Thus, the consistency gets better and better. If we start consistently running the ball more more one-on-one opportunities for your deep shots. Yeah. Well, I'll say this too. So since their, their primary weapon on defense is kind of a speed rush. Um, if we're effectively running the read option, meaning that the, the give or the keep is a legit threat. If we go play action, defensive end has to slow play it 
and now he's not he's not running at Braxton. He's waiting to see what's going to happen. Now he's yeah. not putting pressure on Braxton. Braxton has more time to make those throws in the play action. And get his feet set and throw a good ball versus off of the back foot, as we've seen he has done time to time. All right, so let's flip it over. Let's go with the beta version of the defense. Yep. Um, Not a lot of tinkering on this one. <laughs> not a ton. Not a ton. <laughs> and, and most of it is more – um, and, and we're, we're adding special teams in here just yes, because, um, you know, we're, we're going fantasy football says we've got the defense and special teams. Here. Exactly. The first thing I want to see though, buddy, is I want to see more snaps from that too deep. Um, this is the game to kind of get, especially I'd say the linebackers. Yes. Um, I feel like yeah. we, we, we kind of worked most of our too deep in at the other positions, but we didn't see a ton of Dean Ferguson or Kishan artist. Nope. Um, Really, when anybody got a blow, it was Jamari Connor sliding in for that true nickel package. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to see them get some more snaps. What sure. about you, man? Anything else you want to see? Um, with the two deep, I, I want to see, again, I want to see more Griffin and Adams. I want to see, if, since McCray's moved, if he has the opportunity to play him, the two young guys. Um on the back end, same way, a little more Breon Murray. Get everybody a little taste this week because you're going to need it as we start getting deeper into the season. So I'm with you completely on the two deep, and it's two deep on both sides of the balls. I want to see Jalen Jones, and I want to see the Wayne Lofton play some. I want to see Marco Lee get some carries. I really want to see a line, an offensive line, where it's Parker Clements, where it's Jesse Hansen, where it's Johnny Jordan, <clears throat> where Caden's leading it in Tyrell Smith, to where we can get these guys playing more snaps, live game action. So I'm, I'm completely with you. I'm hoping we can use everyone this week. Um, so essentially you want to see the uh, – if there's an eight-man rotation, you want to see the bottom five, not the top five. I do. I do. Top five. I want to see the bottom five because if nothing else – whether they look good or bad on tape, you're getting them on tape against not your scout team. You're getting them on tape against someone who has prepared for you. A, it's teaching moments. B, it's those things where they can get the taste of actually playing the game at full speed. And there's there's nothing like getting that experience, yeah. in my opinion. Okay. All right. Now, what I also want to see – is I want to see the defensive line play like they did Friday night. Yeah, they, they got a feast in this game. I, I want to see Hawkman on his back and throwing early the whole game. Yes. Uh, I want to see that running game stuffed even more than Monmouth was able to stuff it. Um, I, If they get more than 50 yards rushing, I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> okay. If they get more than 50 yards rushing, I'll be shocked. I mean, they they're they're – they're barely getting to a carry. Yep. Um, but also with that is I don't want these guys to take a day off. Yep. Go out and absolutely dig, dig the hole, throw them in it, and then bury them. Yep. And make that seven-hour bus ride to and fro the most miserable bus ride of Middle Tennessee State's life. It's already going to be a miserable bus ride. Just make it even more miserable because no one wants to be on a fucking bus for seven hours. But, 
hours. I, I digress. Yes. Um, Last so I, I'm gonna throw in I'm gonna throw in the special teams here. So I want to see some beaver ball. I want to see a block kick, or at least make them think that you're gonna block a kick. Essentially, scare the shit out of them. <laughs> well, hold on. Jalen Strowman was literally like, I need something thinner. Like literally, this is a little piece of glass thinner. He was literally that close to getting a block kick Friday night, not once, but twice. He had the thumbs touching, but he didn't have the V. He didn't have the V. As Eric Kumas joked about, it was a great joke. You know Shabest told him, thumbs together, you would have got the block. And knowing Shabest's voice, I can really hear that in my head. But I think they're going to see that on tape. And I don't think – I think they're going to have, like, a max protect. And they're going to have, like, one gunner, like, uh uh we're not getting on with a block kick. And with that happening, sets up return opportunities. Ooh, buddy. Oh, buddy. A little Tay Day. A little Tay Day. So, Brian essentially wants special teams to either get one or make them pay every time they decide that they're going to keep everybody but one person in. Yep. And I think that is a very good possibility, Brian. All right, man. So we got our beta version done for the Hokies. It's time, time for, for the fun part. Time for the fun part, Brian. And and uh, I'm going to lead, sir. All right, go for it. Because I think the stuff I've told you, I think when you when other people hear it, it's going to shock the crap out of them. So first of all, this team won 50 to 14. Great looking win. Not really. Looking, <laughs> it's great looking win, not a great win. This game was seven to seven with just about two minutes left in the second quarter. Seven to seven, which means the only offense they had had to that point in time was a punt return. Lo and behold, two minutes they get a fumble, they get a score. They get another fumble later, they get a score. They get a pick six and get a score. So, between special teams and turnovers, they scored 28 points. Monmouth in the third quarter goes for it at their own 38, and they get a short field. Yep. They score off that. So, that is now 35 of 50 points on that. And, you know – this game was still, even with all the stuff going on, it was still a two-score game going to the fourth quarter. That's when the pick six happened, and then a pick inside the two or two another fumble inside the red zone. Yep. So as I'm looking at all this data, and then seeing they lost time of possession, they couldn't run the ball. The only thing they were doing good was taking thirty-yard shots and getting them. There is no way in my mind. This isn't a blowout. Yeah. We're going to cover. I want to see a 50 burger. I don't think we're quite going to get there, but I am going to go 48 20 Hokies. What about you, man? Well, I like their offense even less than you do. Um, <laughs> they did nothing if they didn't have a short field, uh, they did nothing if they weren't hitting kind of the big play down the field. There was zero sustained drives by that offense. 
Uh, I think we're better up front. I think we're better on the back end. I think we press them. I think they don't score but 13 points. I like us to get at least 38, so I'm going to go 38-13. Hokies cover. Hokies win. All right. So we are both predicting pretty much blowouts, and I'm hoping it's a true blowout. I am not hoping that it's the Middle Tennessee State version of a blowout where (laughs) – you have to force a billion turnovers. Yeah, I, I don't want to see, you know, 14 late points turn a two-score game into a four-score game. Exactly. Let's, let's put them away, and then let's keep them at arm's length the rest of the way. We'll put them away early and then give all these young guys a chance to get on that field, get a chance. Um, how about this, Brian? Get a chance in the third or fourth quarter to let Knox Kadem see the field. There we go. Let him see the field. I would love to get our – other quarterbacks involved in this game. Yes. Because at some point we're going to need one of them to make, make a play for it. Even if it's just coming in for Braxton for a key drive in a big game, because he get nicked up. We're going to need them to get out there. Um, You know, Knox showed didn't flinch against Clemson. I want to see him against other competition. um, See if he can be consistent with his play, not just, be you know somewhat clutch with with coming in it in a in a called on mode there so if we can get him a bunch of series against middle tennessee that'd be great yes it will be super key all right brian there's a lot of games this saturday some people said it's not the best slate i think there are some good games out here some games it's a solid slate it's not like a it's just it, it's not as buzzy i mean week two is always kind of the uh yeah, after after the big slate of week one, week two is always kind of the well, okay. you know you, you don't you know you don't have the same number of big time out of conference games that you have in your kickoff. Yeah, it's true, but I think for us, it's it's also a lot of it's this weekend we kind of get to more like look at some of our future opponents and say, okay, what it, what was week one true or was week one false? Yeah, and and you know. I'll be honest. Did I watch Pitt last week? No. Did I watch BC? No. Did I watch Duke? No. So again, I watched some of Duke. I saw Gunner uh, <laughs> throw the ball backwards. Jeezy. Well, well, let's get into this, man. Let's start. Well, first of all, let's start with this. Brian, you're having an okay season. You're five and seven. Couple games under five hundred. Uh, four and six last week after a one and one start. You have the precipice of getting above five hundred. Yep, getting getting close, getting close. I don't. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna need some work. You got some work to do this week, man. Three and nine. You got to row the boat this week. Uh, <laughs> got to do something this week. So let's start it out, Brian. An eleven o'clock kick at Scott Stadium, Illinois versus UVA. UVA is a 10-point favorite. Since you are leading the field, you shall lead the first hole, sir. All right. Well, um, you know, I thought Armstrong had a pretty good weekend, week one. Um, I don't know which Illinois team is going to show up. So I'm going to actually go UVA here. Laying 10 points. Yeah. Woo! 
I don't do um, it often, but I got to do it. Um, yeah, I don't know the Illinois team either. So I'm almost going to want to go with you, but it still took UVA a little bit of time doing a lot of funky shit to finally put to bed William and Mary. Um, again, I like Brett Bielema as a coach. If he had stayed at Wisconsin, the guy would have never got fired. So I'm going to take the 10 points. Give me Illinois. Okay. okay. Um, also, this was this was one of my hardest ones to go with. Uh, I'll <laughs> go ahead and put it out there just because Illinois in the first two weeks is acting like Georgia Tech was last year where I just don't know. <laughs> the product they put out in two weeks tells me two completely different tales. <laughs> exactly. Like week one, they played kind of solid against a team we thought was going to be good. All right, Brian, you had conundrums on your first one. I had conundrums on this one. Pitt versus Tennessee, Pitt minus three. And I go back and forth. Well, it's at Tennessee, but it's Pitt. So the crowd's probably not going to be as jacked up if it was a better ACC school. But then, and as much as I hate to do this. Oh. uh, Can he fucking pick it? Uh, <laughs> watching Tennessee against Bowling Green, who might be might be the worst college football team in the country with Scott Leffler there, I, I just I can't see. I, I can't see it. I can't see. I'm going to take Pitt. I'm going to lay the three points. Whether um, you know, it's just yuck. All right. I waffled on this one too. <laughs> I don't I, I hate Pitt. So I'm picking against Pitt. I'm picking Tennessee. I've got Hendon Hooker coming off the bench <laughs> and, and, and winning this game. <laughs> All right, Brian. Brian there just hates Pitt. Well, you know, I'm not a fan of either. You know, real either team. So, but you probably have a little more love for Tennessee because of Peyton. All right, all right, Brian. Imagine this is twenty-five years ago. Syracuse versus Rutgers. Twenty-five years ago, if I told you Rutgers was the favorite when we were kids, you'd be like, "No, Syracuse is a decent football team." <laughs> Syracuse minus, or excuse me, Rutgers minus two and a half versus Syracuse. Who Syracuse threw us both last week. Blowing out Ohio, yeah that 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 came out of nowhere, and that's probably the reason the line is what it is. Because you know, if I, if I if this was a week one game, I'd have said that line is way too low. Yes, I would, I would have given low. Rutgers at least five and a half or six. Um, but yeah. don't know what I know now. I still think Rutgers covers. Yeah. And I'm 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 quickly on that one. I think Rutgers covers too. Um, you know, Rutgers last week, you know, blew out Temple, and it's not your daddy's Temple, but I think Temple's slipping back to what they you know essentially were again. But again, Greg Schiano at Rutgers means they're going to win games that they should. Not going to be a lot of them, but they still win where they should. All right, Brian. Um, did you see the unbelievable comeback last week down in Starkville? Yeah, 
Um, now, this week's going to be a little bit different for the Pirate Mike Leach as Dave Dorn and the NC State Wolfpack head down to Starkville to take on the Mississippi State Bulldogs. NC State this week, maybe a shocker, maybe not a shocker. I guess depends on who you are. Mississippi State on the road as a road favorite. Um, this is this was probably the toughest game all week I had to pick because you know Leach can score, but usually he doesn't have good defenses. It showed last week against La Tech with them jumping up, and then I watched the South Florida game, which I was completely wrong about. And I'm sitting here, I'm going back and forth, and. I think what's going to happen with this game is going to be similar to what happened last week. I think NC State's going to get up, and I think Mississippi State's going to be able to fight back, but I think playing a superior, talented defense, unlike La Tech, I think they hold them off in the end. I think this game ends up – the over-under line is – let me pull it up real quick. It's 55-and-a-half. I think it probably goes over – I think NC State wins this game like 31-27 late. Like, you know, with the 30 seconds left, Mississippi State scores a touchdown to cut it. But okay. don't get the onside kick. So give me NC State in this one. Yeah, I mean, we're bordering on a pick them here. Um, I like NC State. I like NC State as probably the – maybe the third best ACC team after okay. after week one. Um they they showed up. I mean, I know they showed up against what is lesser competition, but they did True. what they should do. There was a certain school from Atlanta that didn't do that, so <laughs> um, that will for now remain nameless. Um, <laughs> I see. I see that's officially been put on uh, death watch. So Ooh. that was pretty quick. Went from hey, this could be a an eight win team. Hey, we might be firing our coach midseason. Um, that was a pretty that was a pretty quick and swift turnaround there. But well, anyway, that that's well, that's not that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> I know that's not what, make your pick, but I want to ask you a question after that. Yep. All right, it's NC State. Okay, Brian goes NC State to Georgia Tech. They have to give that man more time. The guy was coming out of running a freaking flex bone off. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know if he's a good coach or not because when you don't have the players and the way Johnson recruits, it literally takes people are like, well, year three could do it. Reality, it's probably year four to five before he actually can do something. Sure, Curtis, but you shouldn't lose that game regardless okay. of the talent. I'm just saying. Oh, so you're doing a principle. The principle yeah. is you just don't lose that game. Exactly. Okay. All right. Well, let's roll on. They don't. You, they don't need talent designed for their offense to win that game. Okay. All right. Fire him. All right. App State, <laughs> Miami, down in Miami. Miami, a nine-point favorite. App State coming off a two-score win over ECU. I think Miami plays focused after what looked like almost zero plan against Alabama. Yeah. Um, again, I, I said how high I was on Miami to start the season. They didn't instill confidence in my uh, assessment there week one. I think this is a big bounce back for them against what is a, a quality 
uh, G5 opponent. So I think they covered the nine. You think they fully cover the nine? Um, I think App State backdoors it. Oh, I think he comes out focused, but I think App State can get it down. If it was 10, I'd feel a heck of a lot better, but I think they can get it down to low as nine late in the game. Kind of what ECU did to them last week. Um, uh, you know, I'm trying to think. They played a couple years ago. By the way, shout out my buddy at work, Malik, App State alum. Um, you know, eh, hold on. Let me get up this one because this one's going to bother me. Where is it? Okay. Whatever. But give me App State. Okay. I think they cover back door. I think it is, you know, I mean, the overrunner on this one's 54. I feel like that's a little low. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Miami's at least going to clip 35 in this one, and I think App State's going to be kind of right there. I just think it's about a 10-point yeah. gap there. Exactly. All right, let's roll on. One of the big matchups of the week, top 10 matchup, Iowa State versus Iowa. Um, Iowa coming in off an absolute drubbing of Indiana. Um the one I got right against you last week, Mr. Siegler. Yeah, we, we had what I think three three differences, and I, I was I was th- three or four differences, and I, I yeah, was four differences. I, sw- I swept them except for that one, except for this one. You three out of four for you. Um, and Iowa State looked like hot garbage against against Northern Iowa. They won the game like thirteen seven. Um, and you know, it's a really big game for Iowa because Iowa looks legit on both sides of the ball this year. I expected more fight out of Indiana last week. Um, Games in Iowa City, not at Kinnick. So, man, it's a a four-and-a-half-point line. I think I'm going to go Iowa. I think getting four and a half is enough for me. Even if I am not sure who's going to win this game outright, I think four and a half is enough for me knowing how both of these coaches coach. This is going to come down to legitimately a field goal. And I'd I'd rather be taking Iowa with the points than laying them. Okay. Okay. Can I tell you a fun fact about Ames, Iowa? Go for it. Apparently, they have the cleanest water in the country. Oh. Cleanest drinking water. Cleanest drinking water in the country. Okay. You know what? That's not oh. going to fucking help them because Iowa's going to beat that ass. Oh, Iowa big? I, Iowa outright. I'm I, Iowa outright. Ooh. He takes the points. He says Iowa wins outright. Is it a fight or is it a... I think it's close, but I don't. I don't think it's necessarily... Down to the last whistle. Oh, okay. All right. right. So we we put that on there. All right. We roll on. And we roll on to a new look Texas team, Brian, last week, who really, against an experienced Louisiana Lafayette squad down in Austin, I mean, really handled them. I think that shocked me and you. Um, Steve Sarkeesian looks like he's got those kids actually playing hard, playing focused. Something seems like. Herman only could do every other game. Yep. Now they're playing Arkansas. Um, 
with only a six and a half point favorite. You know, Arkansas last week, you know, coming off a win against Rice, 38-17. You know, the game is in, you know, at Arkansas. What do you think about this one? Because if you know, is is SEC talent that prevalent? Because here's a future SEC West game right here. It's true, man. And I, you know, for me, I like what I saw from this new Texas. I'm not, I'm not saying Texas is back, but I'm saying Texas <laughs> can handle a middle tier SEC school. So give me Texas. Give you Texas. Hey, the, I, yeah, they're the seven or eight eight pointer. They just covered the corner. Uh, okay. Um I, I'm with you on it too. I think Sark's kind of got them going. And I think I think it's who they beat last week. I think that's gonna be one of those games where he can it can be built upon. I know some people will be like, well, it's a G five. A G five who was ten wins last year. It's one of those momentum, like you just beat a very experienced team who plays sound football. Now you're going to a rebuilding program with Sam Pittman over at Arkansas. So I am absolutely with you on this. Give me Texas. I think this will be about more than six and a half. I think okay. this is a two, possibly three score game. Okay. All right. Um, I hate early in the season when they already set games up. Because Washington, Michigan should not should not be a night game, especially with Washington coming off a loss to Montana. Yeah, no disrespect to Montana, but this should not be the ABC night game. No. Um, with that being said, Michigan's a seven point favorite. It's going to be in the big house, and. I know Washington has talent. I, I think I feel Jimmy Lake is a really good head coach, but the question is, will the will the Montana game beat them twice? Because you were at home, you scored seven points. You scored seven points against Montana. Yep. You know that that's the surprising thing. Not that they got upset that they got upset pulling seven points. Seven points, throwing three picks, giving up multiple sacks, you know. And as much as it sucks for Harvard, they're losing Ronnie Bell. I I think Michigan's going to win this one. I think Washington, you know, to to have a new quarterback and come in and, you know – Go to the big house and avenge or bounce back after losing a bad game. I'm taking Michigan in this one. I'm right there with you, bud. Um, Michigan looked good out the gate. Washington did not. I think Washington does have a little bit of a bounce back with some more focus this week. But I think Michigan just across the board, more talent. It was probably going to be close to a seven-point line before what happened last week. And I think it's probably about a 10-point Michigan win here. All right. Probably a game Saturday night, Brian, that we will be watching as we are recording our uh, and going live 
for the uh, results show after the Hokies game. Stanford, USC. Stanford lost last week. They looked bad against Kansas State. USC wins. USC 17-and-a-half-point favorites on this one, Brian. That is a huge a line in a big-ass number. That is a – I mean, that is a massive number. Um, you know, USC last week, they got the opening win. And, you know, all in all, San Jose State, you know, has become a decent G5 school out west. They beat them by 23. They never really, you know, never really in question. They led the whole way closest that – San Jose State got was six, and after that, USC sort of laid the hammer down in the fourth quarter. The line is 17 and a half. Okay. I am going to take Stanford because that line is too big for this early in the season. I feel like Stanford probably came out the gate a little, little off. USC had a good one. I feel like just stakes in this game are pretty high. Stanford keeps it close. Still probably a two-score game, but I don't think it gets to 17. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, Stanford also was playing Kansas State, who has the old North Dakota State head coach. That guy, it seems like early in the season, always can game plan really good against teams. You know, some guy – Justin Fuente knows how to do it. Some guys just know when given the time how to prepare for whoever they're playing and – put their team in the right positions. 17 and a half is too much. Um, it's just it's just way too much. If USC maybe blows the doors off San Jose State last week, you know, like a 50 to 7 win, maybe I'm talking a little different and saying, okay, this is going to happen. But I just can't foresee that happening, um, laying that many points. So, yeah, give me, give me Stanford as well. All right, Brian. Biggest game this weekend is going to be Oregon, Ohio State. Oregon's coming in number 12, Ohio State number three. This is in the horseshoe. High noon cookoff. The shoe. High noon cookoff. And it's pretty crazy what the line is. I'm still waiting on Kevin Thibodeau's report, the stud defensive end out of Oregon. I. They saying he's likely going to play. the 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 foot The foot was just is what it was. Fourteen and a half. I think I got to take Oregon. You taking Oregon? I think I'm taking Oregon. I think I'm taking Oregon because we did see we saw Ohio State on the road against an okay offense in Minnesota. And that okay offense was able to open up some holes and to get some points on them. Minnesota's defense, not so much. Essentially, once they threw out a few things here and there, they figured it out with the freshmen. But I think 14.5 is way too much to lay. I think Oregon's going to be able to run. I don't think Oregon can win outright. If Thibodeau plays, it leans more that they could win outright, but – it's just too many points, whether it's at the horseshoe or not. Yeah, I'm actually right there with you, man. I know we're, we're agreeing a lot here, but that is what it is, man. Um, Oregon, 
I think does just enough to keep it under two scores. Um, as you said, I think they're able to run the ball effectively uh, most of the night. And I think Ohio State is still going to have those moments where they have those handful of drives where they just don't get it done. Yeah, um, They're going to probably bring it on late. And I think it's going to be a kind of a tight, tight contest until the fourth quarter. The question is going to be how much does Ohio State pour it on uh, once they kind of wear down Oregon? Is it going to be a touch or two, or is it going to be something more than that? Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's going to be that. I mean, again, I think if Thibodeau plays and Oregon can have that defensive pass rush, I think it could swing Oregon's way. But you know, we'll have to see that on. Saturday afternoon. Yes, sir. All right, Brian, has anything in the last hour and 38 minutes broke? Nothing of note, dude. Nothing of note. All right. Well, let's do it. That is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website at boundarycornerbt.com to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Facebook and subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast sources, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple podcasts. If you're looking to join the Hokie club and help achieve the reach to excellence campaign goal, please visit boundarycornerbt.com forward slash giving to get started. As always, we'll let our buddy Jason long play us in, play us out, catch him on Spotify and Apple music. As always, we thank you for listening and watching. And as always, let's go. Okies. Okay.